to Beyond the Vibe podcast, the show that cuts deep into the world of music. My name is Aaron Day, lead guitarist in UK band These Wicked Rivers, and I'm here <laughs> right now with Mr. Ryan Vasey, videographer and photographer extraordinaire. How are we doing, Ryan? <laughs> wow, that's quite a quite a strong intro. <laughs> well, you made me write it, and <laughs> so so you know it's <laughs> under pain of death, so it's, it's just... not a problem. Just putting it out there to confirm <laughs> I didn't make it right. <laughs> oh, that's the best thing I've ever done. Oh, we could just end it now. I've, I've, I've succeeded. Yeah, that's your... it for uh, that's it for, for Beyond the Vibe. Thanks for how's your week been, mate? Oh, it's been it's been all right considering COVID and everything going yeah, on. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, it's going I've, well. It feels like everybody's definitely sick of it by this point, particularly in the music world. Yeah. I mean, we've had stuff planned for like. January and February, and we're already mm. starting to to think about whether or not they can go ahead. But it does feel like we're we're getting closer to that, which is the most important thing. Yeah, I think now we're we can see the end of the tunnel. Yeah, definitely, man. So for me personally, knowing that we can see the end of that, and uh, we at least know that gigs will return. <laughs> they will return at some yeah. point. Yes. So so you know. It's good. And one day you might go to that uh, rescheduled seven times Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest. Oh, tour. my God. I had that for my uh, birthday. Seventh about, birthday. About four years ago now, Fuck something like that. Um, yeah, that's... I don't think that's happening. No. But, um, hey-ho. <laughs> so we'll see if Ozzy makes it. God bless him. Um, so this week, right? I've, I've, to be honest with you, I've, I've still been listening to because, like with anything, when I, you, I think last week we we heard the first snippets of the new Greta Van Fleet single, didn't we? Yes, we did. Um, Age of Machine, and and we kind of spoke. Had, yeah, sorry. Um, we had just heard the single because it came out about thirty minutes before we we <laughs> um, we went live. Yeah, and with so. and the first impressions, we were a bit wobbly, weren't we? Yeah. Um, um, where are you at a week, a week later? I'm still um, I'm wobbling all over the road here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I mean, yeah. my mate um, Jamie James, who listens to the podcast, um, was very defensive of the single. Okay, I think it was a bit emotional. What was his thought? I think he 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 really digged my way soon. He felt that this was, and apologies, I'm misquoting you, James. I think he felt that it was the next level. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and his excitement only grew for that, for that because that that sort of seven or eight minute epic is is what he's looking for from oh, yeah. from that sort of band. You know what I mean? Whereas for me, I like the the standard structure of, you know, like my way soon for me is the perfect opening single for the album. Yeah, because it, it pulls everyone in, and like we said before, I think it set a really cool foundation for this next chapter of of Great Van Fleet, where it was like, this is who we are. This is what we do. Mm. And my only problem with the seven or eight, as I said last week, is I think it feeds the parody a little bit. And obviously yeah. the video's come out now. Yes. Now, and the, how do you feel about the video? Right. Um, Very fresh at this point. Yeah, we've, we just, ironically, we just watched the video a couple of hours ago. Um, I have problems with it. It's kind of a half and half thing. Um you know, there's a bit where they're in a like a, a warehouse-looking room mm-hmm. and they've got, like, that statue and they're, like, chiseling and drilling at it. As you and do. As you do. And um, it feels a bit too pretentious. Mm. It's like, uh, 
they asked them or the producers, I'm saying probably the producers, um, what they wanted. And they were like, what metaphors would you like? And they just went, yes. <laughs> I would like all of them, Can I have please. all the metaphors, yeah. please? Uh, I like the, stu- like the old footage, mm. that kind of stock footage stuff. Same and I like, vibe as my way. Yeah, and I like the, the bits where it's them kind of going out into the world, walking mm. about on the bikes. Yeah, it's cool. I thought that was cool. Um, but I think maybe they just overthink it. I think particularly with the My Way Soon music video, that was really strong and it was simple. Mm. It was just them messing about, having a bit of fun. And I think that's where they should be. The ba- the, for, me, yeah, for me, the connection between the four of them and... And from what they've done with like the first EP, mm. musically they're strong enough to just be able to stand tall, st- stand tall. Apologies, and just let that carry itself. Yeah. And I thought My Way Soon was a great example of this. Whereas this is a little bit like, I don't think they need all the bollocks. No. I don't think they need it's, it. You know, it's, it's that's bit, what you do for bands that haven't got the music. Yeah, it's a bit what I would say overproduced. Mm. It's, there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of uh, production that's gone into it. Clearly. Um, but I think there is such a thing as just too much. Yeah, from a Sonic perspective as well, like um, I really digged it with My Way Soon because I felt like it was a bit of a jam song. Yeah, it's a band in in their little jam house, you know, knocking it out. Um, with Age of Machine, I liked the the aspect of sort of how atmospheric it was mm. and all that. But when it reached the end, when it was really building, I wanted a little bit more power a little bit more clarity in terms of how it was recorded and some people really dig that yeah, yeah. I know you're a big fan of that whole sort of organic thing but I just yeah. wanted it to rise a little bit I was just right come on kick me in the dick where's this <laughs> where's this dick kick coming you know because it's like when you've got a seven minute long song it, it needs to build and rise and reach that climactic point yeah and then you're left sort of you know in awe of it whereas I was a I was I I I went with the, with it as it flowed and went between the different sort of things it was trying to project. But towards the end of it, I was a little bit sort of lost in terms of what it was trying to put across. You know, mm. um, I mean, I don't mind that um, if it's if that's the only song like that on the album. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's cool to have a couple of ballads. You know, you have a couple of slow burners like that one, and then you have a couple of rockers. That's cool. But if there's a few of them on, like with the acoustic stuff, they did that problem with Anne for the Peace of Army. They had two acoustic songs back to back. Yeah, which is fucking nonsense. You, the tools in in the in the storytelling of the album, mm. both of them kind of you know just just equal each other out if you put them side by side. You know. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how the uh, how the album comes out. Yeah. Um. As I said last time, I feel that. Uh, that age of machine, it's not a single. Like it doesn't. No, feel it feels a more like a, a album end of song. You know, sort yeah, of somewhere around the latter end of an album. Um, maybe that's what they want. Mm. Like uh, maybe that's what they're going for. Of like, yeah, we're not doing an actual single. This is like a meaningful song, maybe. Mm. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they, you know, what they come up with. Mm. I've also been listening to some. Fucking Bay Area Thrash, man. Wow. Yeah, big time. Have you ever, <laughs> you ever been into Testament? Did I'm, you ever go that hard? Yeah, for me, it's a bit too much. Mm, there's, They've just brought out a new album, and it's, for me, it's like the perfect metal album. Like, right. it's really, like, obviously... They've, the been, past, they've been knocking about for a while. Now. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they kind of been in gone. They've never been included in the... Um, 
in the sort of the big four, yeah. you know, Slayer, Amphrax. And for me, I'd, I'd probably whip Amphrax out of there and put Testament in there. Wow. You know, and I know Amphrax have got this... I mean, I like Amphrax. I like that very 80s thrash, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. it's got a real character about it. Um, but I just think Testament, is one of the... It's just so underrated. I think people don't give him enough respect, you know. And the guitarist, Alex Skolnick, well, one half of them, um, is in my is in my main feature today for that reason. You know, I think oh. he's massively underrated as the band of the whole. So the new album's called Titans of Creation, mm. and the last few albums like Dark Roots of the Earth, um, have they've all been this way. You know what you're gonna get, but it's just really fucking good. Like okay. it's killer, man. Like I'd recommend mm. it to to anyone that's willing to 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 unleash themselves to that heavier side and it does get it gets fucking heavy like, I was driving on the way here and I nearly, I nearly crashed the passion wagon man <laughs> I'm used to a nice foxtrot you know a bit of Neil Young so it nearly blew me <laughs> off it's a bit of a difference isn't yeah, it yeah but I definitely recommend it because it's I think they like I saw them I think we were both at the same gig with Priest and Megadeth yeah. you know? see I yeah what do you think of them then I struggled mm. I think if you're not into them it's hard graph I think it's, it's proper a, thrash yeah I think they're a Marmite band mm. Um, you either love them or you they're just not for you yeah um for that. me yeah for me it was like without sounding horrible from my from my taste it was like well I, I feel like I've just heard that song yeah I get I can and I can understand that because yeah. fresh has that yeah. anyway it's a little bit like um like blues like blues guitarists yeah, you can think you, could you know say, yeah. you know I feel like I've just heard that song whereas we obviously when you're really into it you can see the the different characteristics that sets it apart, you know. There's mm. a lot of riffage and a lot of riffage. Riffage is a bit. It's like if you're in a Michelin star. Oh, would you like some riffage? <laughs> um, whereas if you're down down the corner shop, do you want some riffage? Mm. You know what I mean, whereas this is a bit of riffage, a bit of riffage. So it's up to you which which cuisine you want to intake. You know, I'll let you decide for yourselves. Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> Smashes. So what's our main topic this week? Right. Uh, in our main topic this week, uh, we're discussing the best current gigging guitarists. And uh, we'll be chatting to one of our choices later on, uh, Mr. Danny Della Cruz of Inglorious. And he's a, what a lovely bloke he is. Too. Yeah. He's, he's a, a cool guy. Man. Yeah. And he's a local lad. Yes. A local lad down in Knox. Surprisingly. Yeah, slap him on the back, local lad. That's what we love. <laughs> I didn't think he was that local, but apparently he is. Yeah, I didn't realise he's not. I thought he was yeah. living in London. Um, so, yeah, so for obviously this is a subject quite close to my heart, you know, because obviously I'm a geek and guitarist myself. Um, and it was a difficult one because I think a lot of this is obviously down to our own personal taste. Yeah. We're not, we're not putting these guitarists up there for how hard they're working, how no, often they're gigging. It's, yeah, it's like our personal choices. Definitely, and I think our choices 100% reflect that. Mm. Uh, so my first, first choice is Charlie Starr mm. from Blackberry Smoke. So he's also the lead singer. Yeah. Um, little touch on him as a singer, I mean, I think he's awesome. Yeah, Blackberry Smoke as a whole are one of my favourite bands. You know, I just think that when they first came along, I mean, I'm a massive Skinner fan. Yeah. Um, and Blackberry Smoke are like this generation Skinner to mm. an extent. But it's not like Great Van Fleet where there's lots of nuances. It's just the fact they're a, they're a big band. They're from that part of America. Got and southern vibes. Going. Yeah, there's a southern vibe. But there's a bit more to them as well. Mm. You know, they, they can get very country. They can get very rocky. You know, it depends which album you happen to pick up. I mean, they're on Jules Holland. And they did a song called Waiting for the Thunder off their album Like an Arrow. And that's a fucking real rocker. And I'm going to play an excerpt from that shortly. And the guitar solo in that is a different type of guitarist. My dad summed it up really well. He's, he's very graceful. 
very mm. laid back. You know, it's it's almost you're watching him and you think, fucking hell, this is easy for him. This is, and it's not because to be able to get that ex- amount of expression and character across is it's really difficult. You know, and I I really dig that man. Have you ever, you ever got much into Blackberry Smoke, Rye? Um, I've heard bits of them, but they're they're not a band that I've got round to yet. Yeah, I'd I'd recommend it. I don't know if they'd be a little too on the more countryside. Yeah, uh, for you, but yeah, we'll have to link up. So yeah, this is a. An excerpt from uh, Mr. Starr's guitar solo from the song Waiting for the Thunder. It's a very simple solo. Um, so in terms of you know, like it's not a, he's not Wingy Malmsteen, you know. Mm-hmm. But I like it because it and he does this all throughout Blackberry Smoke's catalogue. He just serves the song. Mm. He gives it what it needs for that particular moment. Do you know what I mean? If he do, if he if he'd gone in shredding at that point, it, it wouldn't have expressed what needed to be expressed at that point without getting too pretentious about it. You know, and it, for me as a guitarist, it was a big thing for me because I think it helped me appreciate smaller things and it's about like say serving the song in that moment so yeah that's fair shout uh what's your first one right uh mine is uh somebody that's been quickly well that has quickly become a favorite uh it's philip sace oh yes philip Mm. phil um these friends yeah he's (laughs) he's he's just like a he's a classic Kind of guitar hero. Um, he reminds me of those kind of old school guitarists. Yeah. You know, obviously he's got a lot of uh, Hendrix influence in there and a few others. Um, but yeah, he just does it really well. Yeah, I love agree. his technique, the way he does it. Um, you know, he's he's got it all, and he has a he has a thing where he comes up with really good riffs. Mm. Um, very Hendrixy, very Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. I think his rig's very much Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's a simple setup it, as well. I like the fact that if he wasn't a rock star, he'd rock up into like say if he's playing pubs mm. and he'd and he'd have everybody watching him. Yeah, he'd kill it. He'd kill it every night. Is that Gary Moore thing? I feel like he's a workhorse. Like he he couldn't do anything else but but, but play guitar. Mm. Like a and really I'm, vibe. Yeah, off I love how he just. Um, he he batters his guitar the way he plays it. He plays it mm. so hard. There's um. One where he's in like a a bar at New Year's Eve that's been recorded, and he he starts off with a like cover of On the Road again, mm-hmm. and um, he's just like battering it, like really strumming hard. He's on got it, fucking you know? destroyed strats as well, hasn't he? Mm. You know that proper road worn. You know yeah. I love it like that. Yeah, yeah workhorse man. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, we'll have an extract from.
Yeah, so the, that was uh, Philip Sace with his cover of On the Road Again. The, the biggest thing <laughs> that I felt, and this for me is the best, surely the best compliment as a guitarist is I watch it and I just want to play guitar. Yeah. I want to play a, a loud amp with mm. some some sort of fuzz on and then like a, a uni vibe Hendrix thing and just really express it because he's so expressive. Yeah. Makes the ends of my tours current. Mm. He's, he's one of those where I watch him and I'm like, God, I want to play guitar. Oh, yes. You know? I think you've put it to yourself, and it's not the question we're asking, but he is he is a modern-day guitar hero for me. Because I, 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 I hear him, mm. and I know it's him. Yeah. And that's, that's the for me, a massive compliment. If someone said that to me, it'd really mean a lot to me. Do you know yeah. what I mean? If I, if I just had, you know, a track come on, I would instantly know it's Philip Says. And that, that to me, is a, a sign of... Uh, you know, just a, an amazing guitarist. I agree completely. It's a similar vein to, to, to my next guy. Um, so my next guy is a really young guy, although he looks about 52. Sorry, sorry, Marcus. <laughs> he fucking, mainly because of how he plays. He plays like an old dude. Uh, he's, mm. he's, yeah, it's Marcus King. Mm. Uh, he started off with the Marcus King band. Uh, you may have seen on the jam van and stuff. Yeah. Um, he had a great backing band and he still does. And he's kind of, he's now gone into a solo career. So he's just released this year his first solo album and it's fucking awesome. It was produced by Dan Albrecht from the Black Keys mm. and I think he's played and helped to co-write some of the songs. And it just feels like you're listening to something that's a little bit on a top level. Like yeah. it's musically, it's just it's just awesome. But with the Marcus King Band, particularly their first album, um, which is I believe is just called the Marcus King Band, um, it dwells into sort of like goes a bit jazzy it goes a bit prog you know it's really cool and intricate and as a guitarist it's just he he knows no bounds you know and Mm. his tone is hard he's low gain you know very focused so you can hear every note um but he just he just rides it you know and he's again he 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 never plays anything that's that's over indulgent it always serves uh, the particular mood of that song and I'm a big fan of that and uh, and yeah he's just he's just killing it he plays a big Gibson ES345 you know like a big hollow guitar um, really vintage thing and and yeah it's just southern it's vintage um, and it's raw and it's it's fucking great mm. dig it man so have a listen to that now. So yeah, there's a little bit of that Philip Sace thing going on where it's very mm. expressive and, you know, very bluesy. Um, but again, a bit like Charlie Starr, I just dig the fact that I feel like it, like some songs, he'll only do very small solos or he won't do them at all, you know. Yeah. I think he he doesn't do it as a as a standard thing that he's got to have a guitar solo in it because this is his band, it's his mm. moment or any shit like that. I think it's very much like like the, the excerpt we heard there uh, from Say You Will is because it's a bit more of a rockier song on the album. He really goes for it at the end. And you, by the point, the time you're at that point in the album, you kind of want that. Mm. And I like that. It tells the story of the album really well. So, yeah, I dig it. And 100% recommend Marcus King to everybody in you're the world. You're big on him, aren't you? Oh, yeah, man. He's got good hats, hasn't he? <laughs> he dresses really nice. And he, he, drives a, he drives that car he's got in the album cover and he just listens Ooh. to tapes. Oh, that's cool. See, I know, I know you love him like that. Oh. 
Yeah, uh, he's yeah, if you watch his Instagram, he's just dusting around in his Cadillac, oh. listening to old blues tapes. Like he's a, he's he's real. But he's got a bit of Jack White about him, you know. He's a little bit. He's a, he's got a character about him, and he's really young as well, you know. He's he's been gigging a bit like Bonamassa. I think he's been playing the blues club since he was about nine years old. Yeah, and I like that. He's paid his dues, you know, and he's now he's now starting to rise. Which I, which I, which I dig, man. Man deserves it. Mm. Uh, what's your next one, Mister Basic? Uh, my next one is like I've picked this guy because every time. We talk to musicians and uh, particularly guitarists. M- most always mention him at some point. Um, he's he's got such big influence, particularly for this kind of new generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Zach Wild. Yeah, well deserved. Mm. Well deserved. Yeah, I think um, he he's influenced so many people. And again, he has a signature sound. As soon as you hear. Uh, anything he does, you just know it's that wild. Yeah, 100%. Um, and uh, I saw him live earlier this year, um, just before COVID. And, uh, yeah, he was just amazing. He proves he's still got it. Mm. Um, went up on the balcony doing this crazy solo, and it was it was just mad. There's a bit of piss-taking around Zach. Um, like, when he played Download, he went on, like, a 12-minute guitar solo and there's, there's like, posting the download <laughs> yeah, page. Be, like, some say he's still soloing somewhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, to be fair, uh, in this gig, he was soloing for quite a while. But I was like, I do not care. Keep going. <laughs> it's different if it's his own gig, isn't it? I suppose yeah. it's... he's he's And this, even with a festival, he's paid his dues by this point. You know, he's been knocking about since um, the late 80s. Yeah. You know, um, with Oz. So it's he's, he deserves it. What's your, what's your favourite? Era of Wild, are you, are you Aussie, Pride and Glory, Black Label? Because I know you're a big Pride and Glory fan. Yeah, I like Pride and Glory. Pride and Glory. Um, it's an underrated album. Uh, but for me, around that No More Tears, mm. early 90s era, that Wild is, is the pinnacle for me. I feel that, like from a guitarist point of view, is when he was still... Like at this point, he's very Zach Wild. Mm-hmm. Whereas before then, he was only a bit Zach Wild. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He was, he was still, he had a lot of, he had them characteristics with the pinch harmonics, but it wasn't as heavy as it, as, as intense, sorry, as it is now. You yes. know, I think that now he's he's a tiny bit of a parody when it comes to, to new Zach Wild material, seeing him live, because you know it's going to be that. But then again, it goes back to it. If he wants to do it and you want to go and see it, then nobody's nobody's armed armed with it, are they? You well, know? this is it. Um, the thing is, when when I saw him live earlier this year, it's you know everybody was going crazy. Yeah, um, and I've, he came I've seen on Black Label. Yeah, he came on, commanded the room, um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Great night. I mean, no complaint. Yeah. What more can you want from a gig? And you you know he's going to give you 110%. This is it. You know, um, I'd rather have that. Yeah. You know, he's a guy that's going to put everything into every gig that he does. Doesn't matter where he plays. And uh, I have a lot of respect for him for that. Awesome. But he's a great solo writer. He's very good yeah. at building it. Mm. You know, so it kind of, similar to Randy, I know it was a big influence for him. Randy, for me, is, is the perfect solo writer. You know, he's awesome. Mm. Ozzy described it as little orchestral pieces within the song, you know, and Zach takes a little bit of inspiration from that. You know? Sir, what's yes. your next bit? Oh, we've both gone a bit bluesy, haven't we? And then you've kind, kind of, of took yeah. a bit of a, of a metal turn with, mm. with Zach. So I, I thought I'd end on a bit of a metal one. Um, and I think he's massively underrated, and I mentioned this at the, at the beginning of the show, it's Alex Skolnick from Testament. Oh, yes. Um, he's a fucking awesome guitarist. He's got his own thing called the Alex Skolnick Trio, and mm. they do jazz covers of well-known metal songs. Wow. They do a jazz cover of Warpigs and stuff. 
and he's and he, he's a fantastic jazz guitarist, mm. and for, he's an equally um, in, insane metal guitarist, you know. And like I say, I feel like he's just one of the forgotten guitar heroes, you know. Similar to Testament, are just sort of underrated and lost in terms of the iconic metal bands from that era. I think, he, particularly at this point, because it's difficult for a band like Testament because they could go into the studio and just be knocking out sort of standard Bay Over Fresh songs, which is how I look at bands like uh, Exodus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, from when you were saying, when you saw them, the songs just mould into one. Mm. That was a little, that's a, how I feel about most sort of very heavy fresh bands. But with Testament, because of the, the level of quality that Skolnick has, um, I feel it just gives it this heightened quality. And his solo writing, again, is really strong. I'm a big fan of solos that are memorable. You know, if you look at Maid and like you're saying, Zach, I want people to be singing and waiting for solos, you know. Yeah. Um, and I get that with Scott Nick, you know. And so my solo is from a song called Man Kills Mankind. Metal as fuck title, mate. <laughs> so when I, um, when me and my missus got together, um, the most wonderful woman in my life, in case she's listening, which she won't, which she won't be. <laughs> when when we moved in together, she realised that I liked playing FIFA and listening mm-hmm. to Talksport, and this and she and this was me saying, "Look, I am a real boy at heart." Um, and that that for me, that Testament song is like, "I'm a real metalhead at heart." Like I'm still the 13 year old me, you know, in the in the trivium beanie, you know, that likes to headbang, and I get excited by that man, you know, particularly as a guitarist because I feel like it's. It's very different for the, than the reasons why I appreciate Charlie Starr and Marcus King for obvious reasons. Mm. But at the same time, I don't, I don't think you can fucking beat that. Like it's it's mm. really exciting, man. Like it, I got... yeah, I mean to be to be fair, I was I was expecting a whole lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> like for my personal taste, mm. um, I would usually not go incredibly heavy. But me as like a a 13-year-old, I used to listen to, like, Judas Priest and play James Bond games. <laughs> and hello, that, hello that, ladies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that that would have uh, slotted in quite nicely. Oh, yeah, I listen to it and I'm playing Last of Us. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Zombies, Just gets man. you in the vibe, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, big time. You know? Yeah, it's killer. Um, what's your final one? Uh, yeah, my final one is Devon Townsend. Ooh, mm. I remember you telling me before how much, how much love you got for Mr Townsend. Well, he's uh, he's like a music nerd. Mm. Um, obviously, very big into his guitars and his sound. Um, saw him at Rock City. Uh, you know, he's just uh, he's actually quite funny. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard um, that about him. He's a funny guy. Seems very normal, very um, comfortable with himself and what he's trying to do. Yeah, exactly. But he has a he has such a big sound, and um, you know, like his his albums are all quite varied. Uh, he had one that was kind of a comedic metal album, and then he had some more kind of serious stuff later on. And it's, you know, it's it's versatile. And again, it's that thing of uh, if I put on a track, I can definitely tell it's a Devon Townsend. Song. Yeah, biggest um, compliment. Yeah. So again, um, yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. So here's a bit of Devon Townsend.
uh, well, Devin Townsend, yeah. Yeah, with the best guitar solo ever heard on <laughs> EMG TV. I have seen that segment before. A lot of mm. people um, say to me, oh, do you like Devin Townsend? And I, I say no. Mm. Um, and then they'll show me that. And I and it, I, I still, I think not liking him is the wrong term of phrase. I just struggle to connect with it. Yeah. But as you, I think you've mentioned that you've seen him live, haven't you? Mm. It, for me, I wasn't sure about him until I went to see him live. And uh, that changed my perspective. And he's he's one of those musicians. He's you know he's um, he's quite self aware. Mm, very and, important. Um, yeah, he's you know he, he has this huge epic sound that like really blows your socks off. But he, he like in between songs, he's like this funny dude, and he's quite kooky. And like if he messes up. In a, in a song, he'll make you aware that he's just messed up. Yeah, he's very. And he owns it. Yeah, I, I do like it. I feel like if I if I went to see him, I couldn't not appreciate it because of mm. how um, epic I'm sure it'd be. Yeah, I think because I'm so sort of stereotypically into stereotypically rock and roll things. Mm. You know, he's very non rock and roll. You know, yeah. um, not me, that that's a bad yeah. thing. You know, yeah. Just, for me, for me, it's. Um, it's just like a nice change of pace. Yeah, it's a very wonderful way of wording it. Mm. Yeah. It just offers something different, I ah, think. I and, respect uh, that. He's a fucking awesome musician just in general. Yeah, exactly. Know. Like, to me, he's an artist, so... Yeah, it's more more know. than a guitarist, but I agree. Mm. In terms of just gigging musicians, he's got to definitely be up there. Yeah. 100%. Mm. Um, and then finally... Um, one of the youngest, if not the youngest, guitarist currently on the scene mm. is Mr. Danny Dela Cruz of Inglorious, who we spoke to earlier. Yes. So we're here today with uh, Danny Dela Cruz from uh, Inglorious. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, pleasure, man. Uh, so the reason we asked you to come on this week, Danny, is we're discussing on Beyond the Vibe the current best cool. gigging guitarists around at the moment. And for me in particular, like I've been really vibing off the way you play, man. Like I saw the. Um, well, the I saw the videos you was doing for them, them bare knuckle um, strap pickups that have just come out. Yeah, and this and this sounds killer. Like and you're playing in particular, like I, you know, really vibe off it, man. Oh man, I really, I really, really appreciate that. You know, I'm just a, uh, I'm just a guitar nerd like yourself. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it comes, it comes across that you've got that that love for it, and that you you really get into it. And for someone that, for, as myself, who buys a lot of, you know, I mod a lot of guitars, and and I'm into my effects. Yeah. Better. You know, that, that's what I'm looking for, you know, when I'm looking at gear and that. So it's it's cool, you nice. know. So we we wanted to to, want to link up with you because we're really interested to hear your story and the road that's guided you to where you are now. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, I mean, um, stopped playing guitar when I was like nine, and um, I didn't really know what I was doing. I brought a guitar from. It's such a cliche story. I just brought a, brought a little strap copy, encore strap copy with a squire. Yeah, um, I tried the same thing. Yeah. yeah, like 40 pounds from a pawn shop, you know. And um, I picked that up and the str uh, string smelled like cheese. But <laughs> I, didn't know that, I didn't know that you could change them. I just thought you had that set of strings for, for the rest of its life. So I was like playing it and I just, I just associated the smell of like, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> and then one day I just snapped one of the strings and I found out that you could replace all the strings. So it just started snowballing. I was like, okay, you replace the strings and then you, you learn this and this. And I learned a lot of stuff off the internet, um, off YouTube and stuff. I didn't have lessons. Um, and then from there, I, I went and, and got a, a Les Paul copy. Uh, and 
I can't remember what brand it was. It was some knockoff brand. And I, I went into, uh, it's weird, I used to get the bus to school and I had this little lamp and the Les Paul copy in a, in a bag. And I just got on the bus with those and I had no reason to bring them to school. <laughs> so I just got on the bus and brought them to school. And I went to the head, uh, the headmaster's office and I was like, I want to play solo in assembly. And he was like, this was before school. And he was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I was like, yeah, cool, cool. So, <laughs> so I, I, I took this uh, guitar and I got set up on, on the stage or whatever before assembly. I just played Knocking on Heaven's Door solo, no backing track, just just pure, <laughs> just like, <laughs> just the solo. Uh, and looking back, I, I have no idea why I made these decisions. I have no idea. I love, just, I, love, I love the confidence of it. Sorry to interrupt you that you just fly yeah, in. Yeah, no, no. office. <laughs> yeah, I bought my yeah, arms. Oh, ready, man. I don't, I don't need anything else. Um, I was a quiet kid as well. I was really quiet and, like, well-behaved, so... It, it must have seemed really weird for him. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know. You, um, what What made you, like, choose the guitar over other instruments? Was there a... a yeah, moment? you know what? I didn't at first pick that. I always thought it was cool before. And I think just, just in, like, children's programs and television and stuff, you always see guitar. It's kind of brought in here and there. And it's seen as, like, a cool thing. And it's kind of sold as a cool thing, electric guitar. And I always thought it was awesome and I wanted to do it. And my parents always said, no, you're not, you're not learning guitar. And I think it's just because I was always changing between things. And um, I actually had violin lessons for a while. And that fell through because I wasn't reading properly. So she was trying to teach me to read and we were doing all these grades, etc. And um I wasn't practicing, but I had a CD of all the tracks that I had to play. And I listened to them like before the lesson on the day, like, oh, I've not practiced, listen to them. And then I'd play them because I'd learned them by ear. So then I was kind of clicking on to like, oh, hang on. I, I didn't realize at the time, but I knew that I was picking stuff up by ear and that's how I could learn. And I, I quit that. And I just said, you know, after a few years, I was like, I, I just realized I didn't want to do it. Um, and I had drum lessons, so that's uh, that's a weird one as well. Because although I really enjoyed it, it was like I'm having all these lessons, but still to this day, I've never like had proper guitar lessons. So it's weird that I had all these lessons in other things, and then the thing that I ended up doing was almost you know the majority of it was just self-taught and listening. And I guess it it comes from that passion that we were talking about of when you're really into something, you can really go far with it and, and get into it, you know? Um, That's cool, man. Um, in terms of the transition to sort of where you are now then, so I think you you were 19 when you you joined Inglorious, weren't you? Yeah. Um, I was 19 when I joined Inglorious and when I was, uh, I guess I was like 13 when I first started playing pubs and stuff with a school band. I used to do that like three times a week. So it was earning a little bit, you know, a little bit of kind of pub, pub money, you know, pub gig money. And that was cool because I could put the money on the side and I could get like new pickups. I remember one Christmas I, I like had half the money for some new pickups. And then, you know, I got some Christmas money and put the rest towards some uh, bare knuckles. So that, that's, a, that's a, a, you know, a weird thing that I can look back now and be like, you know, once upon a time I was 
scraping the barrel trying to get some bare knuckle pickups and now I'm representing them, you know, in a video. Um, so that's a really cool thing. Um, I was playing pubs at 13 and then through that whole phase, you're from Nottingham, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so like Rock City, uh, we played we played the basement like opening up for a band and that to me, I was just like, oh wow, Rock City, I've seen lo- loads of bands here and like a massive thing. And it's, it's crazy because when I stepped into Inglorious, the first tour that we did, the first home kind of uh, closest gig to home was the Rock City main room. And my mum and dad was there. And it's like, they've always been really supportive, but I could tell that after that gig and they came and watched us in like the main room. And my dad's been to gigs with me there. It kind of clicked and, he, you know, he was on the phone like, that, that was that was brilliant, Dan. That was brilliant. You know, he's not a gusher, but he's like, that was really, really brilliant. So that was, that was a really, really cool thing for me. I was really nervous about it, but um, yeah, it's, it's always, it's always cool when, when your parents can see and go, you know, that, that was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I guess I just moved through the whole school band and, and pub bands. And then I moved to London at 18. Um, so I finished up music college and it was weird. I just didn't enjoy the process of learning music that way. Strange because now every day I'm trying to learn stuff. I'm always like watching videos and like looking at, you know, different theories and stuff and trying, trying to learn things. But it's weird. The college thing just didn't, it didn't sit well with me, which is why I didn't push it to university. So I got to 18 and I was like, I need to, to kind of get out of my box a little bit, kind of break out the box and, and push myself. And at 18, I think you don't think of the consequences of what if it goes wrong. So I wasn't thinking what, you know, I don't have a job. <laughs> I'm not just going to move to London without a job. I just thought I'm going to move and get a job. So I moved at 18, started working in guitar retail. Uh, so I was working on Denmark Street. Um, and that was pretty cool because... Yeah. Cool place to start, man. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, I landed that, which was really, really lucky. And I met some really, really cool players, you know, working with them. Um, so that was really, really uh, a cool first job, really. And it was lucky enough to be in guitar. Then I started moving to other stores and getting involved with them. And then, yeah, before you know it, time's gone by. And after doing a few gigs in London and getting to know some people, I decided, you know what, I'm going to start like a solo project. I need to start a band. You know, I want to start something that I'm passionate about. So I started um, demoing up some songs and me and Nathan are great friends. We're great friends before as well. So I headed down to Devon, which is where he's, where he's living now. He's got like a nice farm there and loads of animals. It's really peaceful. So we headed down there. Uh, we got writing on this riff idea. Um, and it's actually She Won't Let You Go. It ended up being She Won't Let You Go. Um, and he was like singing melodies to me, adding some lyrics to it, etc. Um, and before you know, before you know it, we've we'd made a song and I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this into my solo project. And he was gonna help me out with that. And he was gonna like help me out with the kind of, you know, sorting out a label and sorting out bits and bobs. Um, because he's got loads of you know loads of years of experience in the music industry so i was like cool 
you know, I'm going to get this together. I got some studio time, but I started recording it. Uh, and I got a phone call when I was recording it. And it was Nathan, I thought. He doesn't normally just, like, ring off the cuff, so I better check if he's all right. And I picked the phone up, and he was like, do you want to join the band? And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Because, you know, we're, we're close mates. I know the ins and outs of the band, and, you know, I've been on tour with them previously, so I kind of knew how how it was going to work as well. I didn't. I didn't really have any questions about it. So I was just like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll join the band. And he was like, okay, cool. What are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm recording, I'm recording a song that we wrote. And he was like, yeah, don't do that. Don't do anything with that. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, right. <laughs> okay. I won't. So we kind of wrapped, we wrapped that day up of recording, uh, recording it. And it's crazy because it has my vocals on it. So I have to find the demo somewhere, but, um, when you do compare them, it's just like, what the hell? <laughs> you've got a demo, demo with my vocals on, and then you've got a full produced song with Nathan James' vocals on. It's, it's a very different thing. But, um, but yeah, that's pretty much the story shortened, I guess, right up until uh, joining the band. So, yeah, it's yeah. all been guitar so far. <laughs> I love the fact, though, because um, how, how kind of you've reflected on you, how positive you and Nathan's relationship is. Because me and Ryan chatted about this and it really comes across. Mm. You know, I think that's important. Yeah. When you look in the, the history of rock and roll, you know, obviously you've got Ozzy and Randy. You know, there's some real cool sort of singer and guitarist relationships. Yeah. That, really, you could, that really comes across on the record and when you see them live, you know, and it seems like you and, you and Nathan have got that. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I like to think so. I mean we're always hanging out and we're really similar people. Um, and yeah, he's, he's a really, he's a really great guy. So I think that does reflect in the music because we end up, you know, writing a lot together. Um, and a lot of the, uh, for this album, a lot of the kind of videos, etc., being put out, you know, we've had a lot to do with. Um, so, I think, yeah, I think it does come across because there's a lot of time spent there, I guess. Um, and also, not to mention, I completely respect him as an amazing musician. You know, he's he's got a cracking set of pipes on him. So when he's coming out with stuff like that, it's just like, you know, cool, let's let's write some more. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is cool because not only is, a, is he a great singer, but when you've got an idea, Although he can't go play like this chord and name the chord and name all the notes in it, he can sing it. He can just go like, I'm thinking more of like a, and he'll just sing maybe his melody that he's trying to like sing and he needs a chord underneath it. So that's another way we work well together because there's that kind of back and forth between the writing process. Um, not to mention as well, like the rest of the band, Dan, Vinny and, and Phil, they're all amazing at writing. So this album has been like uh, really cool to see so many different ideas flying around from different people in the band. And then you'll pair up into like twos. So um, the places we were living previously and now, to be fair, you know, they're not really big enough to be having five people writing in a room all the time. So we might pair up into uh, me and Nathan or Nathan and Phil or you know, me and Phil, Dan and Vinny, and we're like kind of switch and change. And then hearing the ideas 
from these combinations is like is really cool um so yeah they're all fantastic uh, musicians and, and writers as well you know i just thought i'd mention that not trying to um not yeah. trying to just think nice. of that. yeah yeah that's cool um so so obviously you said about so in terms of this album then when nathan giving you that call was that kind of you officially joined the band? Because you originally joined them in sort of t- December 2018 and you went and toured the new album. Um, and one of the things yeah. I wanted to ask you was when you went out at that point, I'm guessing at that point you were probably more of sort of a, a session guitarist, if that's the right way to kind of... Yeah. You know what? Um, it was never... It, it was never like a... Um, a, a big thing. It, w- it, was, it was just like, do you want to you know, join the band and be the guitar player, you know, be one of the guitar players. So I never saw it as, um, I never saw it as just like, just a higher gun. Mm. But at the same, at the same time, I was completely aware that the stuff that I was playing, um, live, you have to do it justice. You know, you've got to check out, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the previous guys as well. Uh, they're all fantastic musicians, no doubt. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm a different player to maybe you know Andreas was. So there, there was a lot of kind of analysing happening in the previous records. Of you need to find the little nuances that they included that maybe the fans might notice if they're not there, or you need to you know do it justice in the sense that you've got to kind of get in the same ballpark. So that's probably, you know, that's probably one of the hardest things. I think Steve Vai says in an interview, like one of the hardest things is just stepping into someone else's shoes, you know, when people expect that. So it was really scary as well, that first tour. Um, I saw a lot of criticism online and there's a lot of people that come to the shows and they're just like having these open discussions about like, oh, what do you think to this and what do you think to that? And it, it's crazy because, you know, if people think you don't see, we don't see that stuff. I'm online all the time, you know, mm. checking out guitar nerd stuff. So when I stumble across it, I'm just like, what's Barry got to say about my mid-range? Oh, too, yeah, too much <laughs> mid-range. Right, okay. <laughs> you know? So I check out these things um, and there was a lot of criticism and that definitely puts you on edge uh, into thinking, you know, I've got I've to really do my job right here. But w- with the new album, it was almost a bit of a relief, you know. Mm. finally getting my my lead bits on there and finally getting my riffs on there it just it means I, I have a feeling that live there's going to be a lot of pressure taken off those songs you know the songs that we, we do that I've had a part of because for instance she might let you go the solo on that that's that's a lot of the other stuff that I'm brought up on you know the Zach Wilde stuff and the, the Joe Bonamassa and the I guess there's a little bit of kind of sinister gates from Avenged Sevenfold there because there's that kind of almost gypsy jazz kind of outlining happening in the guitar. So um, that's the stuff that I grew up on. So I feel like live there's going to be less pressure and it's just going to be like, I know I know that inside out. Whereas when you play some of the previous stuff, you're playing someone else's influences, you know? You're playing like five of someone else's influences in one. So it's just like, it's one of those things where you have to learn to be versatile and there's a lot of pressure, but, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question in a really long way, in depth way there. Um, yeah, I, I guess the pressure has been almost lifted a little bit with the new album. 
um, not in the sense that it's a change from like a session to being in the band, but it's just a case of playing someone else's uh, riffs and, and solos to kind of pushing into your own thing as well now, adding that. So uh, yeah, a little bit of pressure lifted. No, that's cool. I mean, I was um, when we, me and the boys, when we, we had sort of the same lineup for three or four years and then we, were, we had to replace yeah. our bass player. And for us, it kind of, it was quite a, a it was sort of a year's process of inducting him into the band and really feeling that, that, that change in yeah. that, you know, and it's, and it's a similar, it's interesting to, to hear from yourself, you know, and he, he felt the same that until we recorded our first album and he was able to put his musical footprint on, on the band, it was like he finally felt yeah. like he was, he was really part of it, you know, and, and it seems even though the relationships were great and the vibe was awesome, it was like it needed yeah. that moment, you know, where you can step out and it's like, this is my own, my own now, you know. Exactly. And I think as well, as a musician stepping into um, someone else's, it's like someone else's baby that they've created from the ground up. I'm fully aware that, you know, the sacrifices someone like Nathan has made to, to put his all into this band, you know, he was in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, which is, you know, such a huge gig to have. And I guess he kind of put put a lot on the line to get his own thing going um, early on. So I'm fully aware about those things. And, and that's what kind of, I guess that adds a bit of pressure as well. But um, I think as time goes on, as, as you know, when someone new joins a band, you, you kind of start to respect them more as time goes on. So you feel that on the other side as well. You feel respect going up and um, your ideas kind of get confirmed more. Yeah, that's it. Um, so thankfully Ryan's given me quite a lot of airtime this week because I can get me nerd on a little bit. Um, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, but we could dive into it now. You know, we could take all the shackles off and everything. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah, let's take it off. I, 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 I know you're a big fan of, of the of, a J, of the JCM 800 2203, and I, yeah. we've got the same amp, that single channel one. Nice, you yeah. do. Yeah, I love it, man. Like I, 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 I'm a bit of a pedal nerd, so I've had to crank the preamp back a little bit to try and get a bit of fuzz <laughs> pedals and stuff in. I don't know why you're laughing. Like this is this is me. And Here my we element. go. We're, we're getting into it. I'm into my <laughs> element. Uh, the gear. This is the gear. The guitarists watching this, they're they're going to be loving this. <laughs> to get the nerd on um so yeah and I, I love that amp i think for me it's the it's the ultimate classic rock sound you know so for you yourself and inglorious yeah. i imagine that was the it was quite an easy choice for that um to go with that sort of yeah. what do you, you use live man yeah so the first tour that i did with them i, I owned a, a jvm a marshall jvm and I've, I've had that since you know what i spoke about earlier being like 13 playing in, in pubs just just after that I, I got that um and before that I was using some different amps but I, I pulled all all those together sold my bits and just uh, got a Marshall because that was always the sound in my head if I'm honest like the players that I grew up on they pretty much all use Marshall or Marshall circuits so I was a bit like I didn't realize at the time but I should have just waited and saved a bit more and got a Marshall to get to go with, you know, to start with. So I was using the JVM on the first tour. Um, and I quickly realized that I was only just using one, just literally one sound on the JVM. The JVM has four channels and three channels within each. So it's like, sorry, we're getting really nerdy here, but um, it's, it's about 12. Me, the JVM is too many knobs. Oh, yeah, there's like, 
there's like 12 sounds going on, which is great for if you just want to be versatile and they do a great sound. And the sound I was using, it, it served really well in the band. It, it cut well, but I made the, the change to the JCM because I was like, the, the sound it's emulating is the JCM, you know? So, and I'm a big pedal guy as, as well, um, like yourself. So it's, it's a better pedal platform. It's a better thing to stack on. It's a bit more organic sounding. And that sounded really, really good with the band, uh, the JCM 800. And I found it, it did cut through a little better. Got a little more end in the, um, in the mix for the rhythms. And then it has an effects loop as well, which is cool. So I always run an EQ pedal in the effects loop and I just smooth out the highs as if I would, you know, if you're tracking a solo um, in a track, you just kind of smooth the highs out and drop some bass. And I do that live. So it cuts through nicely. Um, but yeah, it serves really, really well. The problem is we got to Europe and they have sound restrictions there. Yeah. They have volume restrictions and the police come out and cancel your shows if you, you go over for too long. And they're really, really strict in a lot of the countries there. So um, I was running a JCM 800 there on like, I guess the sweet spot for me live with the band is like four. But that is it's pretty loud. It's cranking it at that point, though. Yeah, it is pretty loud. So these smaller venues in Europe weren't having it, and it just it it just didn't kind of sound right to me. So um, yeah, that became a problem in my head. However, that's why I got this silver thing. It's an attenuator, Fryer attenuator. So I brought that, getting ready for the next shows. Then COVID struck. <laughs> <laughs> which is a nightmare um and the thing is because i brought the attenuator i was thinking well now i've got an attenuator so i can finally play a plexi because if you ever played a plexi you know cranked it makes you feel sick <laughs> you know it's, it's all gross <laughs> stupidly loud um i remember tracking in a studio once with a plexi on 10 and i was stood in front of it like turning the knobs and it, i felt sick standing in front of it and I went into the control room and shut the door and you couldn't hear it, but the walls were shaking <laughs> ridiculously loud. So I thought now I've got the attenuator, I can bring the volume down. I'll get a plexi as well. But I had no shows to even play that at, um, which is nuts. As you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a ball lake, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've never used an attenuator with my 800, so I might give it a try. I've got the uh, two notes capped to 16. I used to oh run, nice so I used to run into logic you know for the for the amp plugins and stuff yeah that's killer okay. I crank it for demos and stuff so I might take I might be tempted now and I'm the same I use, I love the effects yeah. I like running a boost pedal in it and then just kicking it on for yeah it's a volume lift I never I never trust the yeah, sound definitely. to give me that lift so if, you know I can rock up and and uh, upset some sound engineers and that's kind of yeah yeah no yeah. definitely man the effects loop um I guess they're not on the original models but they're they're worth having for sure and the cool thing about this anyway it has an effects loop so if you ever use oh, an amp to have one plug it into the attenuator and you've got an effects loop ready to go yeah. so just as a quick question yeah. at the end of that before ryan falls asleep um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you could have sort of say if you rock up to a gig and you can only have one amp one guitar what would what would be your choice hmm. okay so um the amp, it, I guess it depends 
what the gig is, but for Inglorious, I'd probably say JCM 800, just because I've, I've played that before with the band. The Plexi's not, not far off. It's a fantastic sound. I guess the JCM just does the Inglorious thing straight away, you know? Um, so I'd probably say a JCM 800, and guitar-wise, um, that's a really hard one. That's a really hard one because I'm always switching between stuff. But I just started playing a really cool brand called Nags, which are really, really, really well-made instruments. Um, I've got a, uh, a P90 like Junior Star one on loan at the moment while one's made. So um, I can't say too much about the one being made, but what it is is very thick cut of wood, two humbuckers, flame top, mahogany, maple cap, you know, a classic design, but it's kind of modernized a little bit and they just play really smooth. So depending, I don't know, obviously I don't know what that's like yet, but providing that's good, that guitar and a JCM 800. But that's, that's such a question where guitarists will just answer different every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, anything that, anything that feels and sounds good is, is good to me, which is normally a fat neck and pair of bare knuckles and you're good to go. <laughs> so uh, what does the future hold for not just Inglorious, but uh, yourself in particular? Do you have any like personal aspirations um, in a kind mm. of post-COVID world? <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. Um, and I think it's really, really good for musicians to always be setting goals. And it's so easy for for us to just like set a goal, like I'll oh, play Wembley Stadium or whatever. It's so easy to say these things, but I think it's just really good to, to set yourself just as many kind of small goals as, as, as you want, really. Like, um, I don't know, do do a video on, like for myself, it's like do a video on this, this and this kind of gear. And then when you do meet it, it's like, oh, I'm kind of stepping closer to what I want to become, which is, I'm just a full-on guitar nerd. I, I do guitar all the time. And I, th I think um, COVID has made me realise as well, as well as performing live with the band, I think uh, in between touring and stuff, I just always want to be, you know, doing demos and, and putting out YouTube stuff, putting out Instagram content. The reason being is because the guys that do that are like some of my favourite people to watch on on youtube and instagram like people like mateus asato you know he's he's a really successful guy on instagram um one point something million like ridiculous amounts of uh followers um and he does it all from his you know his bedroom but then also he's playing for like people like bruno mars and jesse J and all these different gigs so i guess to answer the question i just want to make guitar more you know more and more and more i'm already doing it all the time but i just want to do more and more and more of the same uh stuff that's happening um and in terms of the band um just more i guess more tours and, and more shows and more playing more playing with them as well i just want to make it like overload of guitar you know cool. um finally uh if you could tour with any band one past and one present, who would they be? Hmm. 
Present as in like they're not a band anymore. Well, like uh, so present as in like present day. So like oh sorry, not pre- uh, not present. Like, Past, I mean. Yeah. So like uh, for example, that could be I don't know Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin. Right. Okay, I got you. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I guess for present. I guess I could say Guns N' Roses because they're still touring and doing that and they're one of the biggest rock bands touring at the moment, aren't they? Um, they're up there with ACDC and, and those guys. So that'd be a pretty gig, uh, pretty good gig to have. Um, but then for the sake of it, I think I want to say like a new band. So I'm going to say past Guns N' Roses yeah. um, and present... Hmm. There's a lot of amazing, amazing stuff out there. I guess someone like Rival Sons would be really cool. The good show, right? Yeah, Rival Sons would be a really good. Um, yeah, that'd be a good gig. I think they've got a wicked sound, um, and I think they're following. You know, we we might get some of their followers go. Oh, these are all right. Mm. You know, so. I think that'd be a cool, uh, a cool lineup. Yeah, fucking killer lineup. Mm. Yeah, that'd be sick. I'd be going to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd enjoy, I'd enjoy that gig. Just have my face ripped off by some fuzz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big, you know, big belting vocals and and the the drummer in that band as well. He's got that kind of uh, John Bonham kind of. Yeah, thing going I on. say that man. Yeah, I know they he tends to whack up impact. Like when they do the albums, there's a lot of flange and stuff on the drums, and that's very Bonham esque, you know. It's that, yeah. Of, I've been, yeah. I think I watched Scott Halliday's rig rundowns maybe like three times a week, you know. <laughs> normally, if really, you're a big fan, yeah. I just, I just like rig rundowns, and obviously, with Scott's, it's like he's got about three pedal boards, hasn't he, man? So it's just, you know, yeah, I, I really like the idea of him having a board per album. Mm. I think, uh, I think I'll definitely, uh go for that at some point <laughs> <laughs> no smashing right thanks danny great to chat to you man really enjoyed it absolutely thank you so much for having me on um and it's good to virtually meet you guys as well yes yeah. hopefully uh one day we can do this kind of in person maybe yeah absolutely come hopefully down. soon come down and do a rig rundown yes that'd be yeah cool. absolutely man come check out the gear man yeah mm. definitely so the new and glorious album we will ride is out February 12th. Make sure you give the single a listen now featuring Killer Solo by Danny. Cheers, brother. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Yeah, so that was uh, Danny De La Cruz. A bloody nice bloke, isn't he? <laughs> he's fucking solid gold, man, he is. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, I look. Yeah. F- we look forward to linking up with Danny in the future, hopefully. I think hmm. that. Um, it was interesting to see how, um, how he came to be in Inglorious, really, because obviously we mentioned this a little bit off air. When, you, when you're a fan... Or when you you're catching up with what bands are getting up to and stuff, you kind of put this idea in your mind: how songs are formed, how people join bands, and it's kind of completely different when you you actually understand that they're all just mates and they're all on quite a chilled level and they just naturally kind of come together. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, it's um, you know I think uh, you realise that they're they're very human, they're very normal people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think um, when people yeah. step out on stage. Um, they definitely fall into it. Well, I do anyway. I think I feel like I go into a different character, mm. you know, and I think naturally we only know the character that's on stage, you know, and I imagine they're much different people away from that. Yeah. You know, um, 
they they seem you know if they're they're like Danny as well which I'm sure they are they they seem like good guys so uh, yeah you know definitely go check out Inglorious if you haven't yeah definitely I'm looking forward to hearing Danny's musical footprint on on the band hundred mm. percent yeah he's a an exciting young guitarist isn't he yeah definitely and an absolute pleasure having him on Beyond the Vibe. Mm. Yeah. So uh, that's all for this week on uh, Beyond the Vibe. Uh, tune in next week for uh, a very special guest. Very special. <laughs> right. Uh, see you next time. See you next time.